Good morning, my. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Isn't the love of Jesus simply wonderful? Blessed be his name. Ah, oh, blessed be his name. Thank you so much for having me this morning. It's been such a blessing. Such a blessing. Being in the throne room, entering in is such a blessing. And we thank God for inviting us and for allowing us to partake. This morning, I believe the Lord wants to tell us something. I know he wants to tell us something. I know he wants to speak to our hearts. And what he has to say, I, I pray that we all open our hearts to hear from him. The, 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 the passage was read this morning. I didn't know that it was going to be read. So that, that's good. It was read this morning, so we'll just um, highlight as we go along. If you have your Bibles or whatever you read from your Bibles, from your um, electronic piece, whatever it is, I would love for you to follow because I may be referencing from time to time. So when Pastor Eva asked me to share this morning, and I looked to the Lord, the first thing that came to my mind was, Lessons from Ruth. Lessons from Ruth. And I began to look into the lessons, uh, to, to, to the, the scripture. Very short book of Ruth. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with it. And I was thinking of Ruth wow, this woman was, you know, really great, the things that God did through her. But then, as I prayerfully looked and studied, I realized the Lord wanted me to focus on Naomi. And today we're going to look on Naomi. It's really lessons from Ruth, the book of Ruth. But we are going to look at Naomi today. And my topic is, when life throws you a curveball. When life throws you a curveball. And some of us, I'm not going to take for granted that we know what a curveball is. Um, I think it comes from the, the, um, the game, the, what you call it, baseball, that they do in one of those games that they love in America here. And I will not tell you that I'm a baseball fan, nor do I purport to be one who knows anything at all about baseball. I actually was trying to get in touch with somebody who is familiar with baseball so that what the thought I had just to make sure that it was correct so that you baseball fans and, and persons who know your stuff don't get at me. But I ended up having to consult the great Sir Google so <laughs> that's what I have to be using to make sure that I was, my thought was correct. And I really believe the Lord told me because my thought was really correct. When life throws you a curveball, what is a curveball? We may ask, what is a curveball? It is that when in baseball, I'm trying to find my notes here and I can't find it. But let me see if I can remember. It's a, it's a curveball is a breaking pitch that has more movement than just about any other pitch. What is a pitch? I guess the pitch is the person who is throwing the ball. Let's put it in our everyday language. Somebody, the person who is throwing the ball because basic baseball, you have somebody throwing a ball at you and the person, somebody will aim is for that person to hit the ball. And when you hit the ball, you get scores, basic as ever. But then when you're going pro or when you're really doing your stuff, you throw the ball, but you're trying to not let the person hit the ball because the ball you're throwing to your opponent, I believe. So 
they have, there is a strategy, there's a curveball that the person willingly, he does it on purpose to throw this curveball. And so it's a ball that it's like you intended to throw it as if you're throwing, but you're throwing it out some type of way so that the person can miss it. So that's my interpretation in my very layman term. So a curveball is a breaking pitch that has more movement than just about any other pitch. It is thrown slower and with more overall break than a slider. And it is used to keep hitters off balance. Used to keep hitters off balance. Keep that in mind. The hitter is the man who is hitting with the, with the bat. It is used to keep, that's the whole intent, to keep them off balance so that they don't get it. When executed correctly by a pitcher, a batter expecting a fastball will swing too early and over the top of the curveball. So he's going to miss it. Or, so the game is for him to hit the ball. But most times, most times they don't get the ball. So when life throws you a curveball, it's a way of speaking. When life throws you stuff, it's, you just keep missing. You're going through life and you just seem to be missing all the time. You not seem to be connecting. Things just don't seem to be working out. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm coming from. So we look at the life of Naomi. And Naomi is our focus today. And we're going to see what we can learn from Naomi. There are many things. As I was looking at it, I said, oh my God, this short little story about Naomi. I found so many things in it. The Lord showed me so many things in it that we can learn from her life. First of all, what was going for her? Everybody, we are, whatever stage we are in life, we have an ideal situation or we have a situation, we, we, we have in our mind's eye what we would like our lives to look like. And also what it is as, you know, people, as human beings, as a man, as a woman, or even as a child at the different stages of our lives, what we would expect our lives to be based on what society shows us. You know, people will talk about the white picket fence, getting married and having this house with children and the white picket fence and stuff like that as a manner of speaking. But we all do, I would imagine, no matter where we are from or what stage we are or where, whether we're born poor or rich, the rich, they have their aspirations to the poor have their aspirations. Wherever we are, we have an ideal as to what we would like our lives to be. But there's also in life some kind of standard, you know, some kind of standard that people would say, yeah, they've made it or you're successful. Whether it be average or, you know, whatever it is, there is a certain standard. Like, for instance, we would say a, a, a regular mother, a regular middle class mother, poor mother, whatever, would, would, would our, our family would expect when they're child their boy or their girl grows up they would get they would get a good job they would get married they would have children so that the parents can have grandchildren and that they themselves would be able to fend for themselves have a, a you know have a nice home and they can look after themselves and in turn perhaps look after them later on that's the kind of expectation we all have. And if we all don't have it, we have something like that. We like to see progress. We like to know that we are doing well and that our children are doing well and we are getting along in life. Now let's look at Naomi. Naomi was an Israelite. She was God-fearing. Two good things going for her so far, God-fearing. Naomi was a wife, um, something a lot of women crave these days, wanting to be a wife. She was a wife. Naomi was also a mother. We get all of that in the first few verses of chapter one. Naomi had a husband who covered her, meaning a husband who looked after her, who cared for her and looked about her well-being. And how 
did I know that? How do I know that? The, the, the passage starts by, by telling us about this man, Elimelech, and where they are from. And then they introduced his wife, Naomi. And then this passage goes, goes on and speaks about there being a famine in the land where they were in, in Bethlehem. And because of the famine, they decided, the Elimelech decided that he was going to move his family to another place. So they made it clear. They introduced the father and they then introduced the wife and the rest of the family. And then they said, they, Elimelech decided that they were going to move to this other place. So you can see that this man is in charge. He's looking about the best that he thinks for his family. So I have, she was, Naomi was covered by her husband, responsible father and husband. Another thing we need to make note of with Naomi is that she was an immigrant moving, she was moving to another place. Now those are the things we see of her. The things that that looks like uh, 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 somebody in control of their lives, somebody who knows what they're about, and they have met upon hard times where they were in, in their born land, as we would call it, their native land, and they've decided that we're going to move somewhere else. Now I could say something about that again. A lot of us can identify with us moving somewhere else. And most times when we move somewhere else, we're hoping for better. Most times people don't go somewhere else if it is they're anticipating worse. Now, in this life, we all know that we, it might not necessarily be roses, or because even roses have thorns, and that's such a good example. It might be looking better, but there are also thorns there. But I'm leaving a situation that is not so good and I see where things might be better there, so I'm going. A very good illustration is in this case where, a where the husband decided, I will just make it easier, that, hey, there is famine in the land, so we need to go somewhere else. I'm sure there were families who stayed back, but he thought it was the best thing for them to go. So he's thinking, okay, it is bad for us. We're not making it here. Let us go to this land. And the land they were going to was Moab because he must have done his research to realize that they did not have famine and they would be in a better position to go there. Now, before we get to Moab, before Naomi gets to Moab, let me tell you a little bit about Moab. Moab was, came about through Abraham. Abraham's nephew was Lot, came about through Lot. Lot had two daughters who along with their father escaped the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we can go to Genesis 19 for us who are interested in this story. I'm really just giving you a really short idea of and you know what Moab is, or, or 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 you know, so you can get an idea and 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 put it together with what I'm about to say. So, if you're interested in knowing more about this exciting story, you can go to Genesis 19. The girls, when they tried to dis, when they were escaping the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they went to this other land. So nearby and then they ended up going to the hills that the Lord had ultimately wanted them to go to. The two girls, the two girls that Lot had, they made their father drunk because I guess he wouldn't have done it in his right mind when they realized that they wouldn't be in a position to have offsprings and they wanted for the family line to continue they took it upon themselves and they said, okay, we're gonna lay with our father so that we can get pregnant and have children. With all of that, they had, each of them had a son, one named the son, 
Ammon and one named the other Moab. And that's how the two um, nations came. They became very, very um, strong and, and nations, the Moabites and the Amorites. Now, the Moabites were a pagan nation and they did not worship God. They did not worship Yahweh. And you'll find that in Jeremiah 48, if you want to go and read that up again, too much of the, the history of the Moabites, they were very hostile towards Israel. That is so important to think. But it says much of the history. So there might be a time when it is that they would be more open to having them there. But you have to keep in mind that it wasn't exactly Israel's best, you know, their, their friends, as it were. And that's one of the places, if you want to remember Moab and to know how much they were hostile towards, if you remember the story of Balaam and Balak, Balak, the, the king who wanted to curse the Israelites and asked Balaam to come. And instead the Lord caused him to, the, the prophet Balaam to, to just bring blessings upon them. And that's what our God does. But just to give you a little snippet of who the Moabites are and where it is that these Israelis, Ruth and her family went to for refuge as it were, when there was famine in their land. So that's where Elimelech went for refuge. When they got to the land of opportunity, I call it, because they are looking better opportunities than they had. It was famine, where they're coming from in Bethlehem. They came to Moab. These are the things that happened to them when they went there. First of all, Naomi lost Elimelech, her husband. I cannot imagine moving for better from one place of famine, going to a new place and losing your husband. I cannot imagine how the devastation she must have felt losing her husband. No, the coverage which I spoke of before, somebody who she has to look out for her interest and who is there to, to see you know, about her welfare and her family's, entire family's welfare is now gone in a strange land, not even their own. Strange culture, everything. She lost her husband. But I would imagine Ruth being a God-fearing woman would have really picked up the pieces and through the help of the Lord, moved on and tried to, to rise above that because naturally she has two boys. We don't know the ages of these boys, but I would imagine that they would have been, perhaps suppose they left at even 10 years old, because I would imagine they were children when they left. And it, do, it doesn't take long, I mean, between there and another 10 years, because it mentioned within the span of 10 years, how she also lost the sons. But before we get there, the point I want to make is she would have had the responsibility of looking after those boys on her own. She went to Moab and became a widow. And then she found herself being also without child. Be, she, she went, she, she went to, to Moab, became a widow. Then she became a single parent all on her own and struggling with them all on her own in a strange land, then becoming without child, losing two sons. And I would imagine I have a feeling both never go the same time. You know what I mean? That's hard. Those are hard blows. If those aren't curveballs, I don't know what they are. Naomi find, found herself in a really hard place. You leave, you're having issues where you are at. You leave for better, pick up roots, wanting for better. 
And when you go for better, it's worse than ever because one after the other, after the other, disaster kept striking. Her sons died. She left this grieving mother. I can't, I can't imagine the emotions, all that she was going through. I'm thinking grief must have overtaken her so much. Then I'm thinking she must have felt so lonely at times, not having anyone to share her thoughts with anyone who is close enough to share her fears with having lost her husband. And then as a God-fearing woman who believes that God it is who looks after his people, she must have felt abandoned by her God. She must have felt abandoned. But as I thought about that, the interesting thing is with all the things that were coming against her, and I believe she must have, it would have taken her a while to sit down and contemplate and what do I do here? Do I stay in Moab and just die myself? Since everybody around me is dying, might as well I stay here and die. She could have made that choice. It would have been the easier choice maybe because when she think of going back home, what are some of the things that hit you thinking of going back home? The first thing that hit you is shame. Oh my God, what are they gonna say? What are they gonna think? I left, we left there thinking, left the others there in the famine and that we were going to get better and we come back to come back with nothing. Oh my God, I can't go back. I can't go back. I'm so ashamed. Just think about it. It could have, that alone could have caused her to stay. When we get our backs against the wall and we get ourselves in situations, be it situations that we ourselves have put us ourselves in voluntarily, or life happens like that curveball that will, will come at us. Life happens. What do we do? Do we stay there in the situation and say, well, it's easier to just stay here and die, stay here and just disintegrate because it's too much to go back. It's too much to pick up the pieces. I am too ashamed. But no, she took the other option. She got desperate and desperation can be good because I believe Naomi's Desperation caused her to say, I am going back home. It cannot be easy to say you're going back home. Put yourself in modern day now. Think of you leaving where you are. Many of us are familiar. I know I'm speaking to people from different cultures and places, but maybe you can relate to this. Many of us leave Jamaica and we come to America because we think that the opportunities here are better. We're coming from a small island. It's many of us there and we have less opportunities. That's the bottom line. So we come to a bigger place. We believe that the opportunities, whatever is here, we will have, I, people will tell you that, hey, you come to get your piece of the pie. And when you come, everything seems to be going in the opposite direction you would have wanted it to go. Everything you try seems to be missing. Nothing is working out. Yet still you went, when you left Jamaica, you went with the Lord. You know him. You're God's child. 
and you're trusting him to look after you. But nothing seems to be working out. As a matter of fact, you'll get into trouble that you shouldn't have gotten into. And some of us, some people get deported, meaning you can't come back because you get into trouble with the law. So you can't come back willingly, you know. And some people, times, hard times have hit them so hard here in the land of opportunity that they have to go back home to their barn land, to where <laughs> the native land won't ever refuse them. But it takes a lot to make that turn. Think about it. Somewhere it's involuntary because it's the law that sends you back. It's not a nice feeling. Most times you go back, there's nothing to go back to. And if it is voluntary, it's all of the shame and, and, and all this burden. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? How people are, what, what people are going to say? What are they going to make of me? But she got desperate and her desperation caused her to go back. When we go back, her going back, my interpretation of her going back, of Naomi's going back, is going back to her Lord. Going back to her Lord. That's why I pointed out what the Moabites stand for. She went into a land that was a land they worshipped idols. They were pagan worshippers. So around her, she was she didn't have the influence of you know of 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 growing and growing in her in in her faith. It could be I don't know. The scripture didn't say. But she was in a land of pagan worshippers, a land of idolaters. She could have gotten involved in that. It could be that the influence was so great that she didn't, there wasn't opportunity to grow her faith. She probably, she might not have been worshipping like them, but her faith got, got weak. Can you see, can you, have you ever been in a situation like that? That's one of the reasons why we come to church, so that our faith can be strengthened. That's one of the reasons why we, we, we stay with certain, our company, you know, that we keep. Because so easy, it's, it's the company that you're around, the crowd you're around, that will influence your behavior at the end of the day. It's the things you listen to, the things you entertain, the things you wake up to every morning, that, that will dictate your behavior and how you live. So it is never the wisest thing to go immerse yourself somewhere where you are the opposite. You say you are this and yet you are going to live somewhere else where it is indirect, the direct opposite of how you want to live your life or you desire to live your life. Because soon, very soon, it will start to become a part of you. We can look, it's replete in scripture with the Israelites. Oh, they are famous for that. They, they go to other places, they intermarry, they, they are near to, the, they live near, they, they're on the borders of, of, of other territories and they always tend to stray and, and, and worship the gods of the other, other nations. And forget who their God is. So if we have any lesson from the Israelites, we know that we need to stay close to our God, to the things of the Lord, so that we can stay strong in him. However, we, she decided to go back. She's now a returning resident, not a successful one, going back empty-handed in every way. She lost all she went with and going back with nothing gained. 
I believe it took great faith for her to get up and go. And I'm thinking today, where are you in your life? Where are you today? What are the set of circumstances facing you today that you feel down and out? You feel it has got the better of you, so might as well you stay here. If we look at the life of Naomi, she never stayed there. She got up and she decided to go back home. Yes, anticipating the ridicule. Yes, and don't even know what to expect. I'm going to go back home. I am going back home to my God. I'm going back home to my people. She had no idea what to expect. But when we make that turn in life and we decide that we are going back to our God, we are going back to what we know, what we knew. God never, he never disappoints us. He will always meet us at the point of our need. Always meet us at the point of our need. When we go back to seeking God and the things of God, and to find out, God, what is it you will have me do? He will always meet us at the point of our need. In Jeremiah, when the children of Israel were at their wit's end, when they were seemingly far away from the Lord, and they were there listening to all sorts of false prophets, as it, we could say, perhaps this situation, Naomi probably found herself into all sorts of things contrary to what she's used to, hitting at her, what should I do? The Lord gave the word through Jeremiah to say, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. As I said, desperation will cause you to go in the right direction at times. And when we get desperate, when we are at that low, when we have missed all the balls, when every life comes at us and we cannot, we don't know where to turn, it is good. It is good to go back to what we knew. It is good to go back to the Lord. We see it all over scripture. The Lord, the people rebel against God, the Israelites over and over again. But when they come back, and the Lord always gives them an opportunity to come back. He always sends his prophets to warn them and to encourage them. And this is one such. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Don't stay in Moab. Don't ever stay in Moab and believe that boy might as well I stay here and die, go back home. Let me tell you some of the things that happen when we go, we decide to go back home. We decide to seek the Lord because he's the only one who can help us as we go back home. Look at some of the things that God did that she would never have thought. I, there is a, I tend to, I usually say this to my husband, and it's another baseball terminology, you would say, or uh, um, something that they say, that things come out of left field. No matter where I am or what the situation is, I have the faith in my God that he will come out in left field for me. And what does that mean? It is, it's, it's just a terminology from, 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 from the baseball game, but it also is a slang they use. It simply means expect the Lord to do something unexpected, odd, or strange. Unexpected is my word. I have no clue what he's going to do. But I know he will come out for me as long as I seek him, as long as I look in his direction, as long as I turn towards him. He will come out 
in left field for me. And I think one of the things that make the difference, just think of Naomi, her going back to, to, to Israel, her going back to Bethlehem, she had no clue what to expect. I'm sure she's expecting some major ridicule. She has no clue what to expect, but she decides I'm going back to my God. I'm going back. I'm going back to my land. No idea. Look at some of the things that, some left field situations that the Lord brought to her. First of all, she thought that she would be alone, but the Lord gave her a daughter. He came with her, her husband and her, and her two sons. She lost them, but she gained two daughters-in-law, one left. Don't want to concentrate too much on the daughters today, but we all know the story. She ended up with Ruth. So she gained a daughter, Ruth, who decided that I am not leaving you. I don't care what you want to say. Verse 15 and 17, if you want to go back and read it, I am not leaving you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And people, if we stop a moment to listen to that, we know that it must be the hand of God. This must be a left field situation because Ruth is coming from an idolatrous nation. She, she was married to one of her sons, to, to, to David's sons. She is not an Israelite. Yahweh is not her God. She was born a Moabite. And so for her to be saying these things so pointedly, when she says, when she looked at her and she said, um, don't urge me, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Listen to this. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. She decided to relinquish everything to, that she ever knew to go back with this woman to somewhere where she has no idea. And even the poor woman who is going back have no idea what is going to happen when she goes back there. No, if that isn't something from left field, I don't know what it is because she would not in her wildest dreams have dreamt that that would have happened. Because she herself was telling them, go back. There is no future with me. That is our God. That is what God will do when we decide to move in his direction, when we decide to throw it all in, all of the mess, all of the what left, all the dregs, as long as we decide to give it to him, he will come in from left field with things that will always blow our minds because he's God, he's sovereign. Let us not try to figure, try to figure about or how this going to work. All of us are guilty of that. We try to rationalize it and we try to put it in our little humanity and our fleshness and try to one, two, three and try to put our reasonability to it because, hey, we went to college or we went to, you know, I know this and I have whatever certificate or degree or whatever. The Lord, all that is done to our God. God wants our everything but our nothing our everything but our nothing. He wants all our will, but he can do away with the senses, the things, the learning, the, the, the learnedness, all that we have gained. When we put our all on the altar, when we give him everything and we expect from him, then he comes from left field and he blows our minds with things that we could never think of. One of my favorite passages of scripture, when Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Naomi decided that, hey, I am going back. I am going back to seek my God. I have no clue what is going to happen, but in seeking him, he will look after me. This is one of the things she can be a test. This we know, this was no incident, accident, or just happened by chance. 
God himself orchestrated this. God himself put this into Ruth's heart to say, I am coming back with you. I don't care. I will adopt your, your, your God. I will adopt your cultures, everything. I will die with you. Oh, could it be but God? Glory to God. See God in your situations and circumstances, brothers and sisters, in your daily lives. Let us see God's hand at work and know it is him. And he says, come back as long as we decide to move in his direction. He, he will come in from left field. Not what we ever think, but what he does. Look at another left field situation. She got a warm welcome when she went home. Yes, I can imagine it said, how I know, verse 19 says, the whole town was stirred. Yes, I'm sure you had naysayers and you had people say, you know, what, what? She come back, you know, where is this, where is that? But guess what? The Lord caused them. God, again, look at his hand. The attention she needed that she would have preferred, I'm sure she would have wanted to go in quietly and for nobody to see her. But as hard as it was for her to get that attention, she needed that attention. Because as we read in the passage, as we go along in the, in the rest of the book, we realize how much persons rea reacted to her coming, knew that she came back and what happened because of that. Now everybody's aware that she's there. So you have those who will be looking out for her interest. You may have those who don't care or saying, yeah, you did leave us when it was famine and now you come back. But you also had those who cared. And so the Lord caused the stirring. He will work it for our good. All things, Romans 8, 28. He will work for our good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he caused that stirring. Another thing, another left field that would, Naomi would not have ever guessed came her way. What <clears throat> Ruth was able, Ruth now is her daughter, daughter-in-law. We call her her daughter now, full-fledged daughter because she renounced where she came from and she decided to stay with this woman. Because Naomi did not stay in Moab, Ruth was able to fulfill her purpose. What's Ruth's purpose? We're not going into Ruth's story much today, but it ultimately, that's where King David came from and Jesus, and, and as a result, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through that lineage, through Ruth, because of Naomi's going back, deciding that, hey, I am going back to my God. Think about this one. Naomi was, must have been an inspiration to Ruth, even while she was going through her Mara experience, as she, she mentions here, that she called me Mara. Why would, why would a young woman go back with an older woman to somewhere she had no clue about? Naomi must have treated her well as a mother-in-law. She must have seen some light in Naomi for her to denounce her own country, culture, God, gods, everything, and decide to go back with this woman. Naomi obviously was an inspiration, even in her grief and all that was happening to her. Isn't that something great? I mean. Think of your life. I think of my life. And I said, God, we all go through our Mara experiences. We all go through challenging times. And am I an inspiration to somebody else? Even through this, is somebody being blessed through me, even though I'm going through this? I want us to, there's one last point I want to make. 
about Naomi's life. Did you notice how many things happened and important things happened because Naomi decided that I'm not gonna stay here and die. The fact that God has kept me alive, because just like how Elimelech passed, the two sons passed, she could have gone to. Think about it. When you're in a situation where you say, oh, this is the end, I can't go anymore. The fact that you can say that or think it means you're alive, the breath of God is in you. And it means an old saying, once there is life, there is hope. There is hope in every situation as long as you are present today. It means God has given you yet an opportunity to do something about today because I am alive. Just think about it. If Naomi had decided to stay in Moab, yes, God can move, can use other people. He would have. But this is what he had purposed. That Naomi be the one, because of her influence, Ruth coming over to Israel, end up being such a pivotal part of our salvation. Can you imagine? Just imagine what I think what God wants to show us through this situation is that all our lives are important. You and me, each one of us, anybody, everybody listening to me today or later on, know that you are important as long as breath is in your body. There is a reason and a purpose for you to be living today. And you don't live your life for you alone. When Ruth decided to get up and go, Look how many lives were touched. Look how many lives were affected. And for eternity, think about it. If you're just going to look at it narrowly, it was Ruth. It was, it, it was Boaz, her husband, who got a wife in his old age. They started this lineage that King David came from. It goes on and on. And through this lineage, Christ himself was born. And through that, you and I get this salvation that Christ came to give us. And then we keep spreading it. Don't ever think that your life does not count. And no matter where you find yourself, whether it be high or middle or low, rich, poor, or have money, there is purpose for your life. Today, wherever you find yourself, there is purpose. But it means that you have to see where you're at and decide that, God, I am moving in the direction of Yahweh, God Almighty. Where are you at today? You can make a difference in not only your life, but in the lives of many others, many others. And sometimes, you know, as I think about this, I say, perhaps we live too selfishly because we keep thinking, Oh, about me, what can I do for me? How am I going to progress through this? But if we look at the life of Jesus and when we read the scriptures, we realize the selfless persons are the ones who progress. They progress spiritually and they progress um, naturally. You know the word I'm trying to find. So, let us rethink this thing because we all know that when, when, when spiritual things are different than physical things, spiritual, spiritual things, physical things, we everybody clamoring for themselves. 
the, the, the natural man. We, we're looking out for ourselves. That is, that is how the life set up. Selfishness, that, 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 that's the rule of thumb when we don't know Christ. When once we get to know Christ and his ways, it's all about others. And as we look about others, then he looks about us. But then, who am I touching? Where, what influence is my life having? Look at Naomi, look how low she got, yet her life expanded so far and wide. I'm imploring us this morning. When the curveballs come, don't let them get us to the point where we give up. Because they will come. It's not a matter of if. They will come. The unexpected ones, they are going to come. And it's the unexpected issues and, and the bars that come at us that are usually the worst because you just don't anticipate it. But when our focus is on God, when we move in his direction, when we decide that it is God or nothing, when we pull up all the, the when we take our, our nothingness to him, where you are at now, when we take our nothingness to him, he will make it into the purpose that he wanted us here for. Think about this. If you get nothing else, as long as breath is in your body, then purpose is still on the burner. And you can make an impact. I can make an impact. You can make an impact today. Just recalibrate. Go back home. Go back to the Savior. Go back where? Go back to that place. Go back to that place where you know you meet God and that he meets with you. Go with nothing, but give him everything. Go with no preconceived ideas. Just give him your will. And see what he will do with it. He can make so much out of nothing because that's what he does. He is God, sovereign God, who will always come out in left field where we least expect when we give it all to him. That's my encouragement to you this morning. That's my encouragement. Don't stay down. Turn to Yahweh. Turn back to your God. Give your situation to him right where you are and know that he can use you as is because he is God. He is God.